God's Word comes to us from Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, and we'll be reading just the first 10 verses of this chapter. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. What we hear now is God's word. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, we have together been looking at the attributes of our God. We have talked about God's power in his sovereignty. He is the God who rules over all things. We have talked about God's holiness. We have talked about God's omniscience, the fact that he knows all things. Last time we spoke about the patience of God. This morning, as we consider this attribute of God, his grace, it is that attribute which in many ways takes us back to the beginnings of our Christian life. Perhaps the first attribute we truly come to appreciate when we recognize what God has done for us is His grace. God's grace to fallen sinners. Were it not for the grace of God, we would not be here in worship this morning. Were it not for the grace of God, we would have no inclination to come to worship this morning. Were it not for the grace of God, we would still be lost in our sins and in darkness. But God is gracious. God has chosen to bring glory unto himself by saving a people for his very own. The glorious grace of God. It's it's appropriate 
Uh, we should talk about God's grace this morning, this, this Sunday after the week in which we remember the Reformation. Remember, the Reformation was really about two things. It was about the proper worship of God and about a proper understanding of our salvation. Are we saved by the works of our hands or are we saved by the grace of God alone? The Reformation was about rediscovering that glorious biblical truth. You have been saved by grace. Now I'd love to begin this sermon, this sermon by talking immediately about the grace of God. But in order to truly understand the glory of God's grace, we don't begin there, but we begin with an understanding of our sin, an understanding of who we are. And it's against this backdrop of our sin and our fallenness that we can begin to understand the glory of God's grace. And that's exactly what Paul does in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 includes probably one of the most beautiful statements about the grace of God. Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9 and 10. These are words we should memorize. They should be on our lips. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he planned in advance for us to do. It is by grace you have been saved. But Before Paul gives us this glorious summary of the truth of our salvation, he begins with verse 1. And you were dead in trespasses and sins. It's hard to understand the glory of God's grace, what He has done for us, unless we clearly see our fallen, sinful condition. You were dead in trespasses and sins. Paul doesn't say you were weak. Paul doesn't say you were maimed. Paul doesn't say you were halted. Paul doesn't say you were sick. Paul says you were dead in transgressions and sins. That is our condition outside of the grace of God. Dead men, dead women. Children, does a dead person call out for help? A dead person is dead. They are lying there. They can do nothing to save themselves. No, in order for a dead person to be revived, someone has to go to them. The doctor, the nurse, the EMT, whoever it is, goes to them and acts upon them, and then they could be brought back to life again. The dead person does nothing. They're dead. That was our condition. Not weak, not sick, but dead. Unable to seek after God. Unable to call out to Him. And He chose to come to us. You were dead in your trespasses 
and sins. And certainly trespasses and sins have a similar connotation, but there is a little distinction between the two of them. You were dead in your trespasses. What are trespasses, children? Maybe, um, maybe you've gone for a walk with mom and dad or gone for a drive someplace and you see a sign uh, on a fence uh, that says no trespassing. That means you can't go across this boundary. You're not allowed to go past this sign. No trespassing. Our trespasses are, are what happens when we go across the boundary. God has given us the boundary of his law. And he says, as long as you remain inside this boundary, you are safe. But if you trespass, if you go across the boundary you'll be hurt. Do not pass. Don't, don't trespass. And yet that's so often what we have done. God has said everything up to the boundary is fine. Don't cross over. But we think we know better. And we trespass. We go across the boundary God has given to us, doing those things that will be to our harm and not to our blessing. You were dead in trespasses and in sins. The word that Paul uses here has a little different connotation than trespass. Uh, to sin is in many ways not to go across a boundary, but it's a failure to live up to a standard. God has not only told us what we should not do, don't do these things, there's a boundary here, but God has told us what we should do how we should live. And yet we sin, we fall short of that standard. Not only sins of commission, those offenses against God which we do, but those lacks that we do, those things we should have done but have left undone. Not honoring God's name, not honoring God's day, not being properly submissive to God. Those sins of omission. Those, too, are part of our dead condition. You were dead in trespasses and in sins, Paul says, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. These trespasses and sins in which you once walked. I think it's um, commentator John Stott who refers to this walk as a walk of enslavement. Our sin enslaves us. We sometimes look at the boundary as if it is keeping us from doing what we would like to do, but the boundary is our safety. When we transgress the boundary, when we tres trespass the boundary, that's when we go into sin, and that sin, which looks so good, turns around and begins to enslave us. That which promises freedom actually enslaves this walk of slavery, being enslaved by our trespasses and our sins, these things in which you once walked. And Paul goes on in verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. We will talk about, about the wrath of God next week, one of his attributes. For this morning, we see who has this, this nature, this dead trespass and sin nature. 
all of us, outside of Jesus Christ, whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind. All living in this sinful, spiritually dead condition. That's why we read from Romans 3 this morning. No one righteous, not even one. No one who understands. No one who seeks God. Together they become worthless. All of these extreme terms. No one seeks God. Outside of Christ, all of us live in this spiritually dead, fallen condition. And until we understand that, that we are not weak, we are not sick, but we are dead, until we understand that, We will never understand the glorious grace of God. What He has done for us, taking us from death to life. Paul says, verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You were dead in your trespasses, unable to do anything about it. But God who is rich in mercy, God who is loving, God who is compassionate, did not leave us there. Because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. We use some some words to describe the nature of God's grace. We say grace is undeserved, um, it is unearned. Perhaps the word unmerited. Grace is unmerited. There is nothing that we could do to earn it. It is unmerited. In fact, if we earned it, it would no longer be grace. It would be the payment for what we have done. Grace is unmerited, given to us simply because of who God is, not because of who we are. I tried to think of, of an example of an unmerited gift. And my mind went back to earlier this year. At the beginning of this year, um, you know, both uh, my father and Mary's father passed away. And um, we would like to go up and and be with the family during that time. And the elders uh, said to me, uh, go ahead and go. Take as much time as you need to be with your family. Now, I hadn't earned that time away. I'd done nothing to merit that time away. They simply said, you go. We're going to give this to you. It's a gift for you. Now, there's other times when I I take a week of vacation. That's part of my compensation package. This was not that. This was simply an unmerited, undeserved gift that was given. We see that that, that same picture of lack of merit when when we go to the baptismal font. And we see a child who is there completely helpless, unable to do anything. And God comes to that child and makes 
makes promise to that child, gives a sign and seal of the covenant of grace, unmerited, unearned, undeserved. This is the nature of God's grace, an unmerited grace that we receive. We sometimes talk about grace as free grace. It's unmerited grace. It's free grace. And grace uh, really is free. Uh, unlike other things, you know, we get advertisements in the mail about this is free, but we know it's really not free. Uh, when we um, bought our home in Phoenix, um, it was a, a brand new home, and when you buy a brand new home, I, I found this out later, when you buy a brand new home, everybody wants to give you a brand new security system for your home. I don't know how many phone calls and messages and letters we got. We will give you absolutely free a security system for your new home. And so, you know, I'm a Dutchman. You know, so I'm thinking, okay, well, that sounds good. So I talked to one of these guys, and he says, yes, we're going to give you this security system. This system is worth $1,000. We're going to give it to you absolutely free. Okay, well, that sounds pretty good. He says, of course, if you want us to actually monitor the system for you, it's going to cost you $99 a month. Well, kids, if you start doing the math on that, the monitoring after a year is more than the thing's worth. It's not really free. It's not really free. It costs you something. Grace is not that way. The grace of God is truly free. There is nothing we need to do to earn it, to buy it. It is a free gift of God at no cost to us. It's not as if God says, look, if you promise to um, go to church twice every Lord's Day, if you promise to tithe of all that I give to you, if you promise to attend Bible study at least once a week, if you promise to spend an hour in prayer, then I will give you my grace. Now, all those things are good things, but they are not conditions for our salvation. God comes to us freely. It is the free grace of God. Again, from verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, a free gift. By grace you have been saved through faith, this not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Wait a minute. By grace you have been saved through faith. There's the catch. Okay, so it's not free. I have to have faith first. I have to somehow find faith within myself so I can have this grace. This is how free God's grace is. Yes, it is true that grace is appropriated through the instrument of faith. But God gives us the faith as well. He gives us not only the grace, but he gives us the faith by which we might appropriate that grace. His gift is so wonderful. He gives us everything necessary. I think of a text like, like Acts, 20, uh, Acts 18. Maybe look this one up later. Acts 18 where Apollos is preaching, and we read in Acts 18, verse 27, and when he had finished, he crossed to Achaia. The brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, 
He greatly helped those who, through grace, had believed. He helped those who, through grace, had believed. Even that belief, that faith, was a gift of God's grace. Now, to be sure, it is, it is a gift to us. It is our faith. We must exercise that faith. But faith itself is a gift from God. God does everything necessary. Grace is unmerited. Grace is free grace. This is what God has done for us. When we consider grace as being unmerited and grace as being free, we must never confuse that with grace being cheap. It is free. It is not cheap. Free to us a gift, costly to God. It cost the Father the life of His own Son. It cost the Son, leaving the glories of heaven itself to come down to earth, to be made fleshly, to live among sinful men and to die a cruel death on a cross. It was costly to the Father. It was costly to the Son to offer this sacrifice of infinite value, a sacrifice that was sufficient to save each and every one of those upon whom God shed His grace. Each and every one who received that gift of faith, Jesus Christ's sacrifice, sufficient for all of them. He did that not because so much of the worth of the people, not that we are so worthy, but that He is so worthy. He offers the perfect sacrifice, the final sacrifice, all because of Him. We use different um, ways to describe the grace of God. There's an acronym, children. An acronym is, uses the, first, uh, the letters of grace and puts a word with each of them. Maybe you've heard this before, kids. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense, G-R-A-C-E. It cost Christ to give us that free gift. And yet it is that same free gift that is proclaimed again today. For everyone who would, who would leave the works of their own hands, for everyone who would turn away from the sin in which they are dead, spiritually dead, that God by His grace might give the gift of faith that we might believe in Him. That's the call again today. If the Holy Spirit is, is, is pushing upon your heart that you are in that fallen condition yet, unable to save yourselves, then today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to embrace Jesus Christ and to know the fullness of the grace of God, a grace to dead men, to dead women, to dead children, a grace that brings us back to life, 
Oh, the glory of knowing the grace of God. I said we use certain words um, to describe God's grace, unmerited free grace. But there are other words that are simply associated with God's grace. How do we, do, how do we associate words with God's grace? We talk about God's amazing grace. Amazing grace. Uh, when I was growing up, we sang a song in school, wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sins. How can my tongue describe it? Where shall its praise begin? Taking away my burden, setting my spirit free, for the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me. Wonderful grace, amazing grace, miraculous grace. And to this glorious grace, we are called to respond with love and devotion. God has shown us His grace, His mercy. We have received His riches. Look at verse 6. He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The immeasurable riches of His grace, taking us from death to life, taking us from darkness to light. These immeasurable riches given to us who were dead. I would suggest if we are casual about the grace of God, if we say, fine, one more sermon about grace, we have not understood the grace of God. Until we recognize that we were brought from death to life, and we are now called to show our thanksgiving to God, we have not understood His grace. How does Paul end this section? After saying, by grace you have been saved through faith, it's not of yourself, it's a gift of God, verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Our response to this glorious, free, unmerited gift is now a desire to live the way God would have us live. Not, not preparing us for grace. We don't do, do good to work so we can be saved, but having been saved, having received the gift, we now say, how can I live in a way that brings glory to God? How can I please the Father who has given me this great gift? We desire to do what the Father wants us to do. There's kind of a, a, a saying we have in our house when we get near to someone's birthday or someone's uh, you know, Christmas like that, and then they'll say to dad, what do you want for Christmas? And my answer is always the same thing, good kids, okay, good kids. That's all I want for Christmas. I remember, remember one time in Sioux Center, uh, it was about this time of year, and uh, we're getting ready for winter, and you kind of, you have to clean your yard up, get all the last leaves picked up, and you do a final trimming on the trees, and you, you get everything all ready for winter for the snows to come. And there was one Saturday, um, it was about this time of year, like I said, and, and I told my kids, hey, come out and help me with the yard. And so we worked all day Saturday. We were trimming trees, we were cutting lawns, we were picking up leaves. All Saturday, I worked those kids. Um, at the end of the day, I said to them, you know, this is all I want for Christmas your help. You did what I asked you to do. This is all I want for Christmas. Of course, the cheap one, that's all, all they gave me for Christmas, but, <laughs> but we, want, we want obedience from our children. 
That's what we want. That's what God requires of us. We have received this glorious gift, the gift of his grace, the faith by which we embrace that gift. And he simply says, do the good works which I have prepared beforehand that you should walk in them, responding to this glorious grace, this amazing grace of God. We are entering into a week of preparation for the celebration of the Lord's Supper. It's our tradition to reflect upon our lives in that week. Have we shown God our thanksgiving for what he has done for us? Have we said those things? Have we done those things that bring glory to him because we are the recipients of his grace? If not, once again this coming week, our God calls us to to repent of that and to go back to the very beginning, the very basics. It is by grace you have been saved. We had nothing. We could do nothing. And God in his mercy came to us. God uses that glorious truth to, to work in our hearts. The Spirit takes that truth and gives us the desire to live in a way that is pleasing to God. As we enter this this week of preparation, remember the glorious blessing of knowing God's grace. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we thank you for your word, a word that brings us glorious, amazing truths, a word that reminds us of our true condition, a word that reminds us of your great love and mercy. Lord God, thank you for your grace shown to us. Thank you for the gift of faith by which we might embrace this glorious grace. And Lord God, we pray that that this study of your word this morning might be used by your Holy Spirit, that as we leave here, we will not only rejoice in what you've given to us, we will commit once again to living in a way that brings glory to you. Hear our prayer, O God, for Jesus' sake. Amen.